Hey guys, just wanted to let you know this has been a bit of an unusual week for a number of reasons, and we weren't able to tape a B-side today, but we do have a main episode, which you're going to hear right now. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello, and welcome to our national conversation about conversations about race, the weekly podcast where we discuss the ways we can't talk, don't talk, would rather not talk, but intermittently, fitfully, embarrassingly do talk about culture, identity, politics, power, and privilege in our pre-post-yet-still-very-racial-America. You could say all that or just call this show about race. I'm Anna Holmes, and joining me from the Panoply Studios in Brooklyn are Raquel Cepeda, author of Bird of Paradise, How I Became Latina. Hey, how are you? Hey. I feel weird saying how are you on a day like today. Yeah, I'm despondent, angry. Yeah. And and Abby just I can't even articulate how I feel. Yeah. I'm so fucking yeah. pissed off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also joining us is Irin Carmon, a reporter and the author of the Notorious RBG: The Life and Times of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Irin, welcome. Thank you. How so are you doing? Much. Right now, I feel numb. Uh, earlier today, I cried. Yeah, that's how I feel. You were watching. Really? You were watching mm-hmm. some of the footage. Right. Yeah. Of the inauguration. I, I think I started crying when Obama came out right before the swearing in. I just, I don't know. I felt I felt pretty numb, and then I felt raw. Then, I guess then, we're all kind of going back and forth. Yeah. Erin knows this because I was having a discussion with her over text earlier that I was going to turn on the TV, and then I decided not to for a variety of reasons. So I haven't actually seen any footage of Trump. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't I'm, either. I just saw, like, whatever's on Twitter, and I saw something about the... It just uh, it just made me feel so weird. Like, he was bragging about the inaugural ball. Even things, something that petty, small. He was like, this is unprecedented. I don't know, impre- unprecedented or what? unprecedented. Um, what, what, what's the, the, the inaugural ball, I mean, the inaugural concert, rather. They have never. I don't know if anybody's done this at the Lincoln Memorial. Oh, my God, there's so many people. But you just have to look at an image to see that it has been done, that it's a very different scene, and that there was... A conservative estimate was 10,000 people there, which is not a big showing. So, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and the the terrible thing is not that is, it, you know, I'm happy that there's a lack of support on a you know larger scale mm-hmm. for him. But the fact that people will just start believing it if he says it. And, and I don't know what's lies going about on. Stuff that doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, who yeah. cares if someone's done a concert there before? Yeah. Like, that's so easily. Like, why are you lying about this? What do you get out of Has it? Has anyone ever because asked him directly, why do you lie so much? Wayne Barrett, rest in peace. That's uh, the other reason why I'm so, because he's one of my heroes. Can you explain to the listeners who Wayne Barrett was? Wayne is? Barrett, he died, what, yesterday, yesterday. at 71 mm-hmm. of lung disease. But to call him a journalist is kind of, in this day and age, is kind of kind of insulting to him mm-hmm. because he was so much more. <laughs> he was one of my heroes. He was writing for The Voice back when The Voice mattered. When people, when you know, my favorite type of journalism is new journalism when the when the author kind of inserts kind himself. Of like, kind of like a literary and yeah, fiction. has and that yeah. literary vibe to it and where as a reader I can kind of be there on a journey and with him, everything I read, even if it was a small, like a like a short um, column, I was always felt like I was there. Like I was like sitting there taking his, like he was dictating to me. Mm-hmm. He is the kind of writer that I didn't need to read the byline. And that existed. Meaning that you, when you read the words, you knew it was I, him? Yeah, I knew it was him. And oh, that gotcha. used to happen, like, back in the day, I would say, in The Voice. Mm-hmm. It would be one of those places where, you yeah. know, it was just like, it didn't matter what, they didn't pay you. It mattered that you were published. So, to see that he died, and then also to see that he, look, I found out that he died. Wait, are you saying that he asked Trump No, he, he was lied? the first person to really, he's the foremost expert, if you will, on Trump. Gotcha. When they're about the same age, if not the same age, and when he cut his teeth in journalism, when he really wanted to focus on something and be an expert on something, Mm -hmm. he was like, wow, this guy's kind of interesting. I wonder what's up. You know, Mm -hmm. Trump allowed him to to follow him. And he just basically was like, this guy's such a liar. The best interviews with him, recent interviews, if you guys want to hear him in his own words, is with Amy Goodman at Democracy Now. And, you know, he even talks about these things where people, he lies about such, like, things that are not important. Yeah. yeah. That she, he was taught, he overheard him, either overheard him or spoke to somebody in a set that overheard him lying to Ivanka saying, like, oh, there's so many people in my office and cameras and, and when there was one. And he just said, so it's he's just insecure like even around his daughter. He's insecure. I mean, he has a huge crush on her. Of course, he's going to oh be insecure God. around his oh crush. Jesus. But it's just like this whole, I mean, and then when I saw, okay, so I, I heard he died. I was despondent. I just felt depressed as a writer. And then, you know, I started reading tweets about the inaugural concert. And then I saw the video, Hallelujah Money, mm-hmm. with um, Gorillas. 
that they just released yesterday. And oh my God, I was like almost scared and bawling up in my bathroom. Like, oh, I don't want to come out for the next morning. I have morning. no idea what, yeah, I have no idea what it oh, is. Oh God. Okay. I'm going to put, I'm going to make that one of my recommendations. Did you see it? Did you see it, AC? No, no, I haven't seen it. Oh my God. It's so apocalyptic. It's so, <laughs> it's so, and I'm, I'm going to find. I don't need apocalyptic. I have apocalyptic right outside the door. But it's. <laughs> yeah, people are getting gassed like five blocks away from me, Raquel. <laughs> I don't. I know, but if you, when you put it I as, I, I started as a music journalist two decades ago. So for me, music is everything. It's a yeah. soundtrack of, mm-hmm. you know, my life. It's mm-hmm. like, it means a lot. So to hear somebody just kind of crystallize Wait, what's I don't want you happening. To, I don't want to say to you to say too much about it if it's going to be one of your recommendations. Okay. I'll, okay. I'll make so, it one of my Okay. okay. So we all okay. know, okay. We, we know it's going to be a recommendation and then we'll have her flush stay it out tuned. later. <laughs> um, so AC, speaking of being people being gassed five blocks from your office. So what, what's, um, what's been going on in DC? Um, By the way, the listeners, our, our producer AC is in Washington, DC. Hey, how's it going? Um, <laughs> so I got up kind of early this morning because I, I went to gather some tape for another project I'm working on. And um, every inauguration I've been to, and I've been to three of them now, two of Obama's and, and this one. And every single one feels a little bit eerie because the streets empty out. Nobody comes into work. But this felt eerie in another much more tense way. Mm-hmm. Whereas Obama's inaugurations, when you finally got to the place where people were going, there were people everywhere, and I don't think I saw any protesters, really. Here, I, I walked along, and this may not mean to anything to people who don't live in D.C., but I walked along K Street for a little while, saw a bunch of protesters. There was a uh, camp out in McPherson Square where there was a medical tent and a bunch of people chanting anti-Trump chants, and a bunch of other mostly well-dressed people going towards the parade route. Mm-hmm. So when I got through the parade route or through to the parade route, it was sparse. It was kind of shocking to see how few people had actually turned out. At least, you know, this is only my experience, but this is not an enthusiastic gathering. It really didn't seem like people were coming from far and wide to to celebrate this thing like they did in 08 or oh, I guess it's 09 and 13. Mm-hmm. So it's been strange, but it's also been stranger to to watch CNN after I came back in and a, see that after the inauguration, tear gas canisters were being thrown at people, riot police I did see while I was out on the street, and they were advancing in lines. And um, Towards who? Me, like uh, Towards protesters, people who had been protesters. actually throwing throwing bricks and rocks at them. And I think I've okay. heard there has been some property destruction, and that's scary too, but it's surreal to be, to be in a radio studio when that's happening so, right. so close to me. So there's dem- there are demonstrations going on in D.C., but I, I w- which I wasn't expecting. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't not expecting them. It just seemed like every, most a lot of the focus has been on the march scheduled for tomorrow in D.C. The women's march. Raquel, you're not going. Is that I'm going to the one in New York? Okay, I have a four year old son, mm-hmm. and after what happened with my daughter and the racial incident she had to endure here at a peaceful pro- where she was protesting peacefully. My husband just wants to, you know, he wants to make our voices heard and he wants us to be seen and we want, we want, we're going to support and we want to, you know, it's never too early to politicize and to, and to expose your children to social justice. But he, we just felt like DC was not the place. Mm-hmm. So we're going to March with the women's March here in New York. In New York. And then my daughter is going to be, she's mm-hmm. being, she's going to LA to host a live event for uh, Plant Parenthood. Mm-hmm. So okay. she's doing that. My daughter just turned 20. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, last a couple of weeks ago. So she's going to do that and then yeah. come back here. So I w- it would have been nice to march all together, but it is what it is. And, you know, we have work to do. Yeah. Ren, are you going to the march in D.C.? I'm not. I still am figuring out what exactly my role is as a, as a journalist. Mm-hmm. In marches. I've definitely been to marches. And in college, I went to this, uh, the 2003 march, the March for Women's Lives. I marched against the Iraq War as a college student, mm-hmm. marched for wages for low, uh, low-wage workers. And I remember when I came back from that march in 2003, a white male journalist mentor that I had said, you're going to have to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. And I was pissed off because there is this grand tradition of the engaged journalist, Ellen Willis. I mm-hmm. always love the story. Mm-hmm. She was part of an abortion speak out in the basement. I think it was Judson Memorial Church. Mm-hmm. And then the next day she wrote about it for The New Yorker. Yeah. So it's not that I don't think that journalists can march, but I th- I... 
I always feel strangely detached at marches. I always feel like I want to be writing about them and not marching. So I'm trying to figure out, I think I will go to New York, but... As a... As an observer. I think maybe I'll go as an observer, even though I am a person of strong convictions. I just feel like people have different ways that they choose to express their mm-hmm. uh, their sadness, their resistance, their solidarity. Mm-hmm. And it's never felt quite right for me to be at a march. Gotcha. Do you um, feel like you're being like you're breaking some ethic code or it's strange because I mean I've written opinion journalism, right? Yeah. And so but it just feels That's all like, I'm writing now. <laughs> it just I mean, but I'm straight I'm coming off sort of recovering from a straight news operation. Right. So I think I'm just still figuring out I think everybody draws that line for themselves and I think for people who are going to the march, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's more like it doesn't resonate with me personally as a form of political okay. expression. It's mm-hmm. almost like I would like to use my voice in a different way. And that sounds like a cop out. Maybe I just don't like being it uncomfortable. Sound like a cop out. It sounds Maybe you like don't you like marches. Yeah. Maybe I just don't like being cold. I don't know. I mean, it's going to be nice <laughs> tomorrow. I'm going to see how I feel when I wake up in the morning. Well, you know, it's funny because with regards to marches, you know, if, if I see footage of, of marches, of people marching against or for something I believe in, I usually feel, you know, happy for them, empowered by it. I like to see those those images and those and hear those sounds. When I've been in marches, though, I don't tend to act them out. Like I tend to just walk, but mm-hmm. I don't tend Me to too. like yell things. Me or too. Right. I don't tend to get performative and i don't mean performative as a as an insult but like i i, I just I tend to, you don't yeah, i don't know i just i just walk and i don't tend to make signs but do you feel good too. being in the group sometimes i do and sometimes and sometimes i feel a little awkward i yeah, mean there's also me a certain bit of awkwardness being in a group I and mean, that might be because i don't like large groups or it might be because who knows who knows but do you think it's also because everybody's sitting at this table already has a voice and a platform no you know and, and that i felt that way when i was a kid yeah <laughs> but you, but you a, chose yeah. your to, to you eventually became the person that you are now yeah. right so it's just like it's it's more like preferred mode of communications like preferred mode to push back to tell stories and so mm-hmm. on and for some people it's yeah. hitting the streets so is, is your hesitation your hesitation is not around the more specific more March tomorrow. It's about marchers in general. Yeah. Because that kind of leads me to my next question or the next line of conversation, which is that I want to talk a little bit about its significance and what or for whom you think it's for. Um, Because I have gotten some mixed signals, which is not necessarily bad, (laughs) but I feel like there's been a little bit of stuff roiling around this women's march tomorrow and, and, and who it's by, who it's for, what instigated it, et cetera. Well, the thing I'm confused about is I think the New York one is separate, right? It's not the part New York of this. one is part of it. I think. Oh, it is. Yeah, part of I it. believe so. Oh, okay, because yeah, so it wasn't on the, the official logo. site. It wasn't on oh, the official site. Maybe it changed. I agree with people who say that you kind of can't plan this. This can't be a top-down mm-hmm. approach. And sometimes something that happens organically on Facebook a couple of hours after they call the election for Trump, mm-hmm. it's not going to be exactly what you know, I would have done or somebody else would have done, but Mm -hmm. you have to respect the fact that they're making it happen. I Mm -hmm. mean, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But I have a lot of respect for the fact that they've followed it through and this just happened. People are getting involved who have never been involved before. My future mother-in-law is going. People that I know... To D.C.? Yeah, from Mm -hmm. Florida. Mm -hmm. And my future sister-in-law going from Georgia with her husband and her two little kids. Actually, I think the two little kids have a babysitter. But, um, <laughs> good. I'm like that. Good. I'm glad. Yeah, I no, I think there's going to be a grandma and grandpa. But I, again, I admire it. I think everybody who's going to be there might have a different idea of what the right. march is, but mm-hmm. I think that's okay. You know, it, in the most famous marches that we know, not everyone was on board for everything. Like in 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 our historiography, it papers over those kinds of differences. But like smarter, more deeply reported accounts of like the women's movement, whatever that is, or the civil rights movement, whatever that is, show that people were fighting these kinds of fights way back then. You know, there were fights Mm -hmm. about how radical to be, how much to get involved in electoral politics, who got to be the face. You know, there was a lot of conflict over the fact that, you know, there weren't enough women who got to speak on the March on Washington in 1963. Mm -hmm. And so you're kind of like alluding to the the disputes that are happening about issues of abortion and Hillary Clinton. What role does she have in this? Mm -hmm. And I guess that feels healthy and natural. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like even if you're pro-life, I think people that are pro-life will probably be attending the march because it's really more the overarching the umbrella here is women, women's rights. And Donald Trump is such a pig and so, or so many people in his cabinet that I think that, you know, maybe it's a self-preservation. But then I think about the 53 percent of the white women who voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. And and then I think about how, you know, like 
they didn't vote. I don't think they voted because of racial justice or the criminal justice system to reform. You know, like they weren't they weren't that wasn't a, a deal breaker for them. Well, they the were fact voting that he doesn't care race in some way. <laughs> well, they, they voted because of law and order. Yeah. So they wanted it to go back to law and order. And what law and order is coded for, you, we're going to put people in check by hook or by crook. It's barely coded or in by the case gun of Trump. He's like cro- spelling yeah. it out. Yeah. He's yeah. being like, I mean them. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's us versus them. And I feel like I thought more white women were down with us. Maybe I don't need to feel a sisterhood bond mm-hmm. with a white woman for me to be able to want to share time with her spend time with her march with her do organize with her yeah but i just felt like kind of like it's the lowest feeling i think i've had toward white women because i didn't i thought we were farther along i didn't that was to me well, it wait. was more shocking to see that 53 percent women that oh, oh in white terms of the vote then okay. then even that he won yeah. to be completely totally well, i felt the same way so about bitter. white people in general <laughs> Yeah. White people well, in, I mean, but I mean, it really showed that it was stronger yeah. for them to be white than it yeah. was to be women, right? That, that I think that the hardest thing about yeah. that is that, like, okay, white women actually voted the way white people at large do, and that it undermines this idea that there's something about women that is going to transcend that. I think that's the part that's really, really hard for feminism, mm-hmm. which is that the racial... Like they were intersectional in the sense that they picked their race over they picked what would be best for all women, yeah, and that was just, I mean, when I think about the way he spoke about immigrants on day one, mm-hmm. and the fact that that wasn't a deal breaker necessarily for even some black Americans, you know, wh- and white Americans, I felt like betrayed from kind of day one. I have privilege, I have citizen privilege. I'm born in New York City. My parents are immigrants, but still, it's kind of, you know, I, I, we all come from immigrants, you know, at the end of I'm the day. I'm an immigrant. But I, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so I just had so many feelings that were hard to articulate, but they were very pessimistic and very despondent when I didn't think that I'm surprised that we were even able to coalesce to even March. I want to I want to go back to the issue that you just touched on briefly about pro-life or pro, pro-choice. Okay, you were saying you would be okay if there are pro-lifers marching. And, and the thing is, I think there will be pro-lifers. Uh, and, I and, so and, and there was some controversy over, and I, Ren, you can correct me whether I'm getting this right. There was some controversy over the inclusion of some pro-life groups onto like the sponsor or partner level of the march. And yeah. then they were taken off. And then they yes. were. And so there's been some discussion. And, and I'm not honestly quite sure how I feel because I'm very, very staunchly pro-choice. And I have very little empathy for people who are pro-life rather i think that to be pro-life means to be in favor of abortion rights like, i actually think of that as truly pro-life but right. the thing is i don't think this march is about abortion and i know that it's very hard to separate women's reproductive rights from women's lives i was just torn when about the inclusion of that pro-life group and then and then about its dismissal not that i think that they shouldn't have been dismissed but i wasn't that i wasn't as bothered as i thought maybe i should be by their inclusion because hmm. i wanted I imagine this march tomorrow to be a march of just women with, again, differing takes on on, on the world. So I think I think a helpful distinction here would be you can march. You know, you're welcome to march, but mm-hmm. the march has principles. It has to stand for something. Mm-hmm. It can't right. just be this like mushy. I choose my choice. Mm-hmm. We're all cool. Whatever. You're everyone is allowed to march. I mean, it's your it's your First Amendment. Right. Right. But to get the official stamp of approval from the march, I think a march should stand for something. Yeah. It shouldn't just be like, this makes me feel good. I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to I'm going to like, yes, there's, there's a, a coalition that includes different points of view, mm-hmm. but it can't be so mushy that it means nothing. Yeah. And I think, I do think that reproductive freedom has to be core to just thinking that women are people, that the state can't tell women what to do mm-hmm. uh, with their reproductive organs. They can't tell women that they should have children or not have children. It's their lives. And right. so I, I think it's just so basic to our women people. And so I actually think that on some level, Students for Life was kind of doing this new wave feminists are doing this. They were using the march as a publicity stunt mm-hmm. because they're constantly trying to rebrand the anti-abortion movement to say, oh, actually, and it is true, by the way, that one's opinions on abortion are not predicted by one's gender. They're, it's pretty evenly split. Women are not necessarily more likely to be pro-choice. But that said, they have been trying to rebrand the leadership of the anti-abortion movement, which is pretty male, mm-hmm. and trying to say, oh, we're not misogynist. So these groups that have come up and they're real and they have constituencies, but I don't think that they're the decision makers in the movement. They're trying to 
get exactly what they got, which is a whole lot of coverage saying, why are these women and the Women's March so intolerant? Mm -hmm. Why do they hate, like, and then, you know, the Times even, some of its coverage even implied that, like, this is why Hillary lost, because it was like, look at this woman, kind of. Uh I mean, if you read between, yeah, because it was like, it was like, it's so hard to have coalition with women like this woman in, in Wisconsin, you know, like she didn't vote for her either because she she's so pro-life and she wants to march, but she hates abortion and blah, blah, blah. Like it was sort of like, why are Democrats so intolerant? But mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you have to stand for something. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. everybody has to agree with it. But you also right. have to say, like, feminism is not like choose your own adventure. Yeah. It's I believe that women are people and have the right to make their own decisions and have the wisdom to do so. Mm-hmm. I'm staunchly pro-choice. <laughs> From personal experience, I can tell you I'm very pro-choice, but I would never have allowed them to be sponsors. However, because I can see that they were trying to brand by all the press that I was reading mm-hmm. around the subject. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if they wanted to, why why can't you be pro-life? You have the right, if I have the right to be pro-choice, you have the right to be pro-life. Go in there, do your thing, march, but don't use it as a platform because it's the bigger, yeah. the bigger issue well, here is... Yeah, well, I feel, I feel like the bigger issue, and I said this, I think, to you, Iran, yesterday in, in some sort of text we were having, but it seems to me, I would put money on the fact that probably 60 to 70 percent, if not more, of the women or the people who are going to march tomorrow are marching, are responding to not just Hillary Clinton's loss, but the way in which she lost and how those things intersect with the reasons and the way that Donald Trump won, which is really hard to detach from one another. Right. Um, this like cauldron of, of misogyny that she was subject to over many decades and, and unfair. Hillary. Yes. No matter what you think of her politics, like, yeah. but, but, but also, right. but also, how how that how led to the elevation of a supremely unqualified, mentally ill white man that white women put in office. Sure, fifty three percent of them. Okay, but 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 I feel like that's what the marches are response to. And within that, you might have elements that are that feel that it's an outcry against what will probably be the further erosion of of reproductive rights under Trump and the criminal justice system and any other number of. Of issues that are not less important, but I do feel like the motivator. And you can tell me, tell me if you agree. Was Hillary Clinton's loss the way she lost to who she lost to, and again, all of the all of the things that led up to that? Do you think that's fair? So, looking at it that way, I, I'm not surprised that there are pro life people who want to go. But, to but the, march. Anna, the majority of people who oppose abortion voted for Trump, mm-hmm. like the vast majority, at least. Based on the fact that he got evangelicals to turn out, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there might have been some Catholic Democrats that turned out, but I evangelicals mean, turned out for Trump and he's not even particularly religious. Yeah. And because they knew that he would help them ban abortion because he doesn't care. He, he doesn't just, give a shit. He's yeah. going to put someone on the Supreme Court that they like. So one of the pieces about this in The Times had a quote. There was a guy from Nairon and he said, you know, why do they want to march? They got what they wanted. Now, there may be some outliers. There's still some Catholic social justice leftists. Mm-hmm. But the majority of people who voted for Donald, or the majority mm-hmm. of people who oppose abortion, voted for Donald Trump. So what are they marching for? But, okay, okay, but who's to say that, that they are marching? I'm just saying, like, I'm. I, yeah, I mean, no, it, I know, it's, but it's I think to, to the larger point, okay, okay, to the larger point, I think we should not. So, to some extent, you know, you mentioned this this horrible 53 percent of white women number, and so in some ways, maybe it's like, well, white women need to show up for this march mm-hmm. and say, you know, like white women made this mess and we're going to try to help clean it up. Right. Right. We're yeah. going to come out and we're going to march in solidarity with people who are going to be really affected by Trump and and also try to figure out, like, can you build the solidarity between women when some women sell other women out that way? OK, well, that brings me to the next issue, which is up around the march, which is that a lot of the women who are leading the march are women of color and the group's mission statement really puts people of color and other historically marginalized and disadvantaged populations at the center of the effort, which has caused some bruised feelings. And we got a quote from an article on Color Lines where Jamila Lemieux asked, quote, Will the Women's March on Washington be a space filled primarily with participants who believe that Black Lives Matter? I'm not sure, especially considering the attitudes of some who have publicly stated that they don't want to hear calls for attendees to check their white privilege at the proverbial door. End quote. Raquel, I, I'm going to turn to you and ask you know, how much have you been how much you've been keeping up on some of the tensions around leadership and and the centering of race and economic issues within the context of the march and and, and white some white women's hurt feelings. White white women's feelings have always been hurt. I mean, 
if you look at it, even the beginning when they were like, you know, marching for the, for suffragette rights and you're asking people, you know, black women to march in the back. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like, come on, man, there's always been some kind of or, or how racist some of the the suffragettes that 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 get lauded in history today were even mm-hmm. against black. They wanted white women to be able to vote, but not black men, not, you know, they didn't really care about black women. I don't know. I feel like, you know, PC culture to have an issue with that because no, no, I, you and I have discussed this before yeah you yeah. and I have discussed yeah. this before I don't believe I'm like for me it's like fuck your feelings like grow up women of color have been a marginalized set within a marginalized community for since the founding of this if you want to say founding because or the refounding of this country mm-hmm. and women and women of color have had to hold so many they they had to hold their families down they have to hold in work life and personal life their community they've had to play such a central role at the same time not being able to to be on the same level playing field as you know their white female counterparts and then you talk to me about f- having your feelings hurt i mean i read an article in the, in, in the new york times where you know an older woman was like what do you mean check your privilege you know she was offended but then at the end of the article it said she didn't even know what it meant Oh, okay. Well, here's the thing. I don't think that statements like check your privilege or the or assumptions that you have to acknowledge your privilege before you can be allowed into the tent that's marching. I mean, I, I don't buy any of that. And I think it's like unnecessarily divisive. And now I feel like I sound like a Republican. But, <laughs> can I just say, but, but, but you know what? It's not even about, I don't want to, I don't want to spend real estate in reading, reading pieces about women getting, white women getting their feelings hurt. It's like, I don't care. Yeah. Like, I, I don't have so, too much to, pontificate over it because gotcha. I don't give two shits. Okay. You know, okay. for me, it's about women of color first and then it's about all women. It's well, always you mean been that in, way. In your life. In my life and my life is very, you know, the political and the personal for mm-hmm. me are blurred. Hmm. Um, my life is political. My existence, yeah. you know, like where I found sisterhood, where I've found, you know, like my mm-hmm. personal political life, feminism and womanism and woman, being a womanista, uh, uh, fe- uh, a womanista and and what have you, you know, it's all personal. That mm-hmm. stuff is what moves people. Che Guevara said it. What moves people into revolution are in deep seated feelings of love. So in order for something to move you to become active, you have to have a, a, an intense love for it. And I love women. I love, you know, but I love Latina, black women of color, people that I feel like I don't have to necessarily speak to mm. articulate my oppression. Mm-hmm. We just kind of get it. Not all the time. Huh. But in in my life, I'm trying I'm trying to answer like I'm trying to pose a question to myself based on what you just said and, and then answer it. Like, do I prioritize gender over race or race over gender and gender men over women? Or No, meaning like, do I do, do I prioritize my being a female over being African-American or vice versa? Meaning like what comes first? You just said that to or what me, do you being feel a woman more connected is first. To? Huh? You mean what, like how you feel more connected sure. to other people? Yeah, yeah. But, but, but it sounded to me, and you can tell me if I was misinterpreting you, it sounded to you like you were saying that you prioritize yourself as a woman of color over being a woman. I'm a woman of color. Right. Well, but yes. no, no, I'm not saying it's not what you are, but like yeah. in terms of like that the, that's, that's where your allegiances fall if you were going to be rating them, you know, in, in a list. That's what I it sounded like you were saying. I would say, yeah. I'm, okay. Okay. And I, I guess I'm saying is that I don't actually know that I would do that. And I don't think I've ever asked myself that question. And I'm not sure I have an answer for it right now. But it's it's a kind of uncomfortable question to be to think about. Because I, cause I feel like what I should say is that I prioritize being a woman of color over being a woman. But I think it's actually the opposite. Erin. Well, I'm checking my privilege here as a white woman. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I think that <laughs> I, I don't know why you have to choose if you don't feel it. I need no. to choose. You know, like no, no one is going to make you like sort because isn't the whole point of intersectionality that like you can't choose because you are both. And wait a minute. And it's doesn't who it depends on where you are? Like if I'm in a certain place, I'm going to pro- this is the better. This is the better answer. For mm-hmm. it. This is really how I feel. Mm-hmm. If it depends on where I'm at, if I'm in the women's march, I feel solidarity and sisterhood with all women. If I'm talking about, you know, again, I was passed over for something, you know, like being Latino, being American, being Latino American, mm-hmm. being invisible in the media, mm-hmm. you know, not seeing myself represented. I'm going to be like, yo, I, you know, I, I feel solidarity with women of color. It depends on who I'm at the it's table context, with. It's, it's, right. it's or context. Or you see a okay. panel and it's all men of color and you say, right. you know, what's missing from this panel? Right. So my answer, that's mm-hmm. why I was kind of like, oh, that way. My answer <laughs> is, oh, is always going to change depending on who I'm talking to uh-huh. because I don't believe that identity is fixed or yeah. that I'm going to be, yeah. I'm, I don't cram myself in any boxes. For some reason, I, I, I like mm. these weird thought experiments. I don't know if you were listening to the other shows where I was like, in a race war, I would pick the black side. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, Erin, I want to know if you can maybe 
explain (laughs) (laughs) or or put into context a little bit of some of the controversy around the Women's March and Hillary Clinton. Hmm. Um, But can we talk for a second mm -hmm. more about white women? Sure. Um, Let's go back to white women. (laughs) I I just want to pause on on your question from before for one second, because I think what has happened with the march is right and proper, which is that experienced organizers who also happen to be women of color have stepped up and they're making the march truly intersectional and they're centering the concerns of... See, I don't their, think it has, happens to be that they're women of color. I feel like that was very purposeful. Yeah. Yeah, okay. right? Okay. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. Okay. I'm yeah, just know, saying I that know. they're also organizers. It wasn't like, get me a woman of color. <laughs> like, all of these women are people who are community organizers, like, yeah. full time. And yeah. so they have the experience to run a march. It's mm-hmm. not just like, I found a woman of color on the street and asked her if she would be my black friend. Yeah. But that said, you know, the, what what do we do about the fact that 53% of white women voted for Trump, which is slightly less than the number that voted for, for other Republican candidates, but Hillary was counting on the number being mm-hmm. more in her favor. Yeah. Like, do we tell them? Part of me wants to say, like, you know, you made your bed, lie in it. That's it. But unfortunately, they still make up enough of the electoral population that if Democrats ever want to win elections again, they do have to care about white women. Mm-hmm. Because they're more persuadable than white men. And so I think that it's probably going to take, you know, progressive white women, not necessarily women of color who are, you know, busy. And also just who would what what is the best message to reach these women? And I don't know if it's the problem of the march, but I think it's a it's a bigger question because Hillary lost and people who are progressive don't want to lose another election. And, you know, there just aren't enough people of color to elect the next president in this mm-hmm. country and white women vote. And so I, I just think that the question is, I don't think that the march has to solve this problem, but it's something to think about. Like, I do want to be like, fuck your feelings. But also, I don't want the country to go to shit in another four years. But in the, in, what, yeah, but you know what? We can't pander. Yeah. And tell people what they want to hear. I think also another act of love is to challenge somebody mm-hmm. to grow. Mm-hmm. Growing always hurts, yeah. right? And you have to challenge people to think about life in a different way. Think about people, their fellow humans in a different way. I don't know if people are living in a bubble. I don't know what it is, but I still can't wrap my head around the fact that they voted for somebody who talked about grabbing pussy and is just on his third wife and is just really like just misogynistic and disgusting. I definitely think that what's happening is good that people are being challenged through the march because they're like, yeah, I'm a woman. I want to march. But then there's a lot of things that they don't know. So I guess the only question is like, what's the best way to challenge them yeah just knowing that they need to be challenged what's the best way to get people to listen and i guess maybe that's where i have had a little bit of an issue where this goes back and it's been the case for many many years where i don't think that like berating or scolding naive white people or white women about what they have or haven't read is is the way to like get them to listen to you i'm just i don't think scolding is doing it is is the way and there was some of that and i've seen some of that going on mm -hmm. and i hate i've hated it in years past because i don't think it's effective and i hate it now so can we talk about hillary sure (laughs) okay so what i want to can you set the scene a little bit since i feel like you actually can articulate this better than i can about her inclusion or exclusion from the march not as a participant but my understanding is that they have they meaning the organizers of the march have a kind of list of women they wanted to honor in whose name they are marching in whose name they're marching and they didn't put hillary's name on there they didn't put a it, lot of people's name on there yeah but okay, okay yeah. but it's a hillary clinton list, she yeah. just lost she's it's the first woman to run for pr- the presidency and then she lost it and she lost it in a way that was really really demoralizing not just for a lot of Democrats and liberals and leftists, but for women. So, like, it was purposeful that she was left off. I mean, it meant something that she was left off. It wasn't just like, oh, other people were left off, too. I think it was telling, and I think it was really actually kind of cruel. Again, because of the reasons that I believe a lot of people are going to the march, which is very much about her candidacy and her loss, even if you didn't support her wholeheartedly. So is it more about her loss or is it more about the fact that we have uh, an idiot? And, you know, but, you don't think that just, like, pe- I think, if, I feel I like think people think hard, they're going to die. Separate them. I, don't, I think you can't separate those two things. Well, I, I guess I don't know if it's about her, but it's in response to her losing, which is about our country. Right. Like, I mean, she also she lost her reasons that weren't just about Hillary Clinton. They were also about how people reacted to this hyper misogynistic mm-hmm. racist character mm-hmm. and also the way they were uncomfortable with her. And so I think, <clears throat> you know, pushing back at all of those dynamics is part of it. But, you know, I also think that um, 
some of the march organizers were surrogates for Bernie Sanders. Yes. This is still an open wound. I have not done reporting on this, but from what I understand, but what's an open wound? Just, what's an open wound that Bernie lost? Lo- by the way, he lost it. You know, he was basically get over it. The I mean, bus I, I'm not by I'm, the DNC. Honestly, get over. Uh, seriously, gate. I, I'm, not, I'm not here to defend dead enders. I'm just describing how I think they would put it. Um, <laughs> That's a ringer neck. <laughs> no, no, no. I wasn't. No, I, I, I'm yelling I mean, at the I world saw, right now. I, I, saw, I, saw a, I saw a Facebook post from Linda Sarsour uh-huh. that said, I think it's an accurate, like, not fake news thing. Uh-huh. But she said that um, that Hillary is attending the inauguration and that's why she's not being honored in the march. Which, and, oh, and so wait, if I mean, anybody saw her, if anybody saw her <laughs> wait, today. I'm sorry. Isn't the inauguration today and the march is tomorrow? Or is it, or is it, or this yeah, is a way to punish okay. her because she went to the well, inauguration. Michelle, Obama, Michelle Obama's at the inauguration. Yeah. yeah right. Like Michelle, And she's boss. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's a really good point. You saw her smiling, taking Melania's present today because she knew that she has a job to do right. and she has to be a professional. That it's is a bullshit reason. And the thing is, I saw that Facebook post and I said as much on Twitter last night that it was a bullshit reason. So this yeah. Like, and what was the response? Well, I, I didn't. I didn't tweet at Linda Sarsour. Um, <laughs> you subtweeted. Uh, no, no, no. Well, I don't think I wouldn't say I subtweeted. I just didn't at her, and it, it wasn't necessary for me to do that. And I don't expect that she needs to respond to me. She's busy right now. I mean, I think. It was, I think. Uh, let me say something that I said to you before. I don't see why they needed a Hall of Fame. I yeah. under, Sorry, what? A Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. I don't see why they needed one. They needed a platform. They needed to stand for something. But you know what? They're doing this so fast. There's a bunch of different people who want different things. They have they're building the infrastructure as they go along. So I'm going right. to cut them some slack. We'll see what happens. But this is an enormously difficult thing to pull off. Mm-hmm. That said, anytime you make a list, there are going to be people who are left off of it. In this case, it might have been intentional on the parts of some people. Other people may have thought it was too divisive. Whatever. It shouldn't be divisive, but. I understand why it happened, and I think it could have been avoided by just saying we stand for principles, and this is not about like the list of the cool girls and the not cool girls. Well, yeah. not only that, you know, you talk about when you think about Hillary. Like, look at their platform; it's about racial justice, social justice, reforming the criminal justice, you know, criminal justice reform, etc. And then you look at what you know when you see Hillary. Some people just see her. You see Hillary's face, and all you see is super predator, super predator, super predator. And a lot of black and brown men and women went to jail under her husband's watch. Yeah, but it was her husband. With her support. With her support. With her support. She yeah, was but a- she's apologized for it, and she had a really progressive platform. I'm not including on criminal justice reforms. And, and I hear you. I'm no, just and saying I, she it's did like, that after Black Lives Matter um, I, stepped to her, and and after she was condescending to them, actually. But that's them exactly what should be. happen, right? Right. I mean, but they Bernie did their was different jobs. A little, I mean, but you know, it, but look, Bernie stuck his finger in their face and yelled at them for interrupting him at Netroots. I mean, I look, well, let's not refight the Democratic. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about but Bernie. I guess I guess I'm just saying if those things are going to be brought up, and I think really, I think they explain why people have those feelings. But I think also it's 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 a selective history. And I'm not a diehard okay. Hillary person, but I do think it's it's unfair. Also, you talk about their march, about their platform. One of their lines, I saw it today on their Instagram, mm-hmm. was women's rights are human rights. Right. And Hillary didn't invent that, and human rights are women's rights. Hillary didn't invent that, but she popularized it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it does have something to do with the fact that she did run on a very progressive platform. And you can argue about why she got there. But to me, it's like not taking yes for an answer. Activists successfully pressured her. That's mm-hmm. what you want, right? You right. want politicians to listen to activists because they make their case persuasively and they say that they have here are the people who agree with me here's why it's the right thing to do mm-hmm. and then you want politicians to say okay great I'm with you yeah and okay. to, to then say oh I care about what's in their heart you're never going to get anything done you're going to let the perfect be the enemy of the good yeah mm-hmm. okay so I Raquel you're going to be involved in tomorrow's march in New York Rin, you're not going to any march. Are you going to? Depends like, on how she wakes up in the morning. <laughs> are you going? Oh, yeah, that's right. But if you don't go, are you going to follow it like on social media? Are you going to sure. be paying attention as, yeah, as it happens? I'm going to the march. I'm in fact, in, I'm running to Penn Station very soon to go get on a train to go to DC, and I'm a little, I'm a little nervous about it. I don't know why. I, I think maybe part of it is there might be a little bit of an element of fear, like something bad going to happen. But like also, what's the something bad like? Crazy, tear gas. crazy Trump supporters, mm-hmm. egg, you know, um, harassing or assaulting marchers. Uh, mostly is what I'm. I'm not really afraid of being tear gassed. So, what made you decide to go? I was asked by a friend if I wanted to go, and that was the first time I seriously thought about going. And my answer was going to be no, but then I thought, no, I really, sh- I, I really should go. 
even though I'd rather stay at home and watch it unfold on television or on social media, I'm not sure that that's a way that I want to interact with the world as much anymore, which is to say at remove and digitally, Mm -hmm. um, because I feel like that's part of what got us into this mess Mm. was living in our own little bubbles and interacting with the world in in, in digitally as opposed to face to face. So things seem like lower stakes when they're just a tweet. Sure, or 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 you know, lower stakes, or it's or it's easier to caricature ideas mm-hmm. or people. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a reason why after election day, I basically stopped looking at Twitter or social media. That's not to say I haven't been on there. I have looked at it, but like I, I, I reduced my usage by about eighty yeah, percent. Me too. And and I think that you know, I, I, I just I just felt idea. that there was essential inhumanity about it that was reflected in the election of Donald Trump. And again, I don't know that I'm making any sense here because I'm not trying to connect social media to the election of Donald Trump, but just that both things felt so suddenly alien and inhumane to me that I wanted to retreat into something familiar, which to Mm -hmm. me, because of when I grew up and how I grew up, is face-to-face discussions. That might not be the case for someone who's 30 years my junior, who's much more accustomed to digital media and and navigating it versus, you know, um, in-person interaction. But, like, ultimately, that's that's what I'm used to. I'm used to, like, having phone calls, not text exchanges. And those, those are the things that feel meaningful to me still. I respect that. And I also really wonder whether, even though most people are not on Twitter, I do wonder whether social media... And and fake news is just one aspect of this. Social media contributed to people feeling like to Donald Trump by making people feel like nothing even matters. Like right. you get so, so desensitized. There's mm-hmm. so much stuff mm-hmm. out there, yes. and mm-hmm. it's all crazy. And so when Trump tweets something that in any other election would have ended somebody's political career, mm-hmm. it's almost like oh, another crazy thing on the internet. And now it's real. Like today, watching him take the oath of I didn't mm-hmm. watch. I just listened. I had to look away, but. Oh, my God. I know. President-elect Trump. It sounds like a joke on the Internet. Well, now it's President Trump. Sorry, President Trump. I don't know if I can utter those two words together. I I couldn't even say it. It's so gross. I feel like I took a shower. Yeah, I feel like I can say maybe the president, and that's going to make me wince. And I can say the word Trump, but I don't think I can put the words together. My sister's (laughs) been calling him Biff. call him dj it's his initials you know Um, one of the our survival guide the the episode that you weren't on because you mm -hmm. were on a plane (laughs) with tanner barrington and myself i was saying that one of the best practices for people that i know are you know very connected to their connected to the hip Mm -hmm. to their phones Mm -hmm. to their smartphones is to take you know three weeks on one week off initially Hmm. three weeks on one week off of being on twitter even take a news break like take a media break I know right after the election, I had to stop watching CNN because to me, it's becoming like the new Fox 5 and like Fox 5 is becoming like Breitbart TV and like and everything is just and then watching them normalize this man, mm-hmm. this if you want to call him that, like mm-hmm. normalizing mm-hmm. what's going on. If you yeah. even if you, when you watch, you know, even some of MSNBC. You just like what? Yeah. Like what do you? So um, <laughs> I'm just giggling because she used to work there. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Used to. <laughs> used to. I mean, but you know, um, you know, I mean, I love what Chris Hayes is doing, but you know what I mean. Like in in general, like most of it is just so I don't know. It's just it could just drive you. It's it's, it's actually it's like they're all in in cahoots to try to desensitize us into what how Trump won this election. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because to me, actually watching television, not the, put aside the commentary, but watching videos and television makes it more real than just reading text, which is my like default way of doing things. So after the election, I couldn't watch his acceptance speech. You know, I watched Hillary and Obama and then I just couldn't see him on television. So every time I would walk by somewhere where his television, where he was talking, I was like... Yeah. I would read all the transcripts because I thought it was important to see what was going on. Right. But like there are so many stages of it feeling real. It still feels like we're in some kind of dystopian movie. Mm-hmm. I know. And, 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 and I there are people who who I really want and who I normally look to to explain things to me, either people that I know personally or people who are, you know, writers or who I want, like, I want them to explain how this is going to fucking end, and no one can explain that. And there's something that's profoundly unsettling with with, with not having a sense of like, some someone can game it out, um, and they're also terrified. Yeah, and that's the yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's what's that, scary. That is when they're terrified. Exactly, <laughs> it's when they're terrified. It's when the adults in the room are terrified. Is is when so I are these people that you're looking at on social media and the news, or people that you talk to? All of both, all, all of the above, it, all of it. Because I'm thinking, for me, I'm trying to do now three weeks on, one week off, but eventually go with like three weeks on, two weeks off. 
And actually, I was even thinking, I was looking at some like old note cards and I want to start handwriting notes mm. and seeing people and talking to people reading on the phone. <laughs> oh, I always yeah. do that. I love reading books. But, yeah. you know, like I think that Twitter, social media really did help Trump win the election. And the fake news is being pushed out there and just the people that we respect, the mainstream, you know, people that we respect, like Wolf Blitzer. I mean, I saw him on Twitter today. I don't respect Wolf Blitzer. <laughs> I, personally, I personally don't. I find him to be a little weasel. But I'm saying America respects him, right? So, you know, just to see like they're, what they're doing, because I, I did peek on Twitter during the, you know, because he, he was trending. And they're saying like, you know, he's saying that it's packed, it's full, people are there, it's so many people. Like just spreading like misinformation. Mm-hmm. I just said, you know what? We got to like unplug. We got to unplug. For our own sanity. I think mental health is going to be very important for us. I watched it on C-SPAN because they didn't have any commentary. And there was actually no sound. Most of the time it was just what was picked up by the mic. Which oh made God. it eerie. Oh, wow. It was really eerie. There was no talking. Wow. And, you know, I used to be in this business, but I will say, like, I didn't want to hear anyone else talk. It was just yeah. enough to see it. And you could see, you know, Hillary's face and you can see the procession of the justices. Right. I mean, I was joking about reading books, but I, I think I'm also thinking about the pace. Like, this right. idea that, like, put on a carnival show for us of Donald Trump, it was part of the, like, constant, like, need to be stimulated. You mm-hmm. know, he would he would throw up, like, a new flare every day mm-hmm. and people were like well he's funny he's entertaining you know he does have the gift of an entertainer it's the one thing he can do is work his crowd it may repel people in this room but he connects with his crowd and so i think our constant need for like dumb stimulation helped elect him too and now it's like it's real and so i don't know maybe i think it's also when people are marching yes on the signs you see the differences between them but i also think that social media helps accentuate our disagreements among people that we normally would potentially build coalitions yeah, with. Yeah, because people are, are being performative and as, as a way to announce who they are or who they yeah, aren't. Or maybe and, and you don't need to know what they think about everything, Yeah, you know, because once you know what they think about everything, you really lose respect for them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Wait, no, I'm going to have it end there because we have to go on to recommendations. Raquel, we got a little bit of a preview of your recommendation earlier. Um, can you tell us again what it is and why you... I have you... a couple. Okay, okay, go for it. So, Gorillaz dropped a new single called Hallelujah Money featuring uh, Benjamin Clementine and Boy or Clementine. But, oh, my God, it's amazing. It's very apocalyptic. It's very sad. My husband watched it this morning, was like, I don't know if I can I can see that too many more times mm-hmm. in this day and age. But Benjamin Clementine is like, he has like a voice, like I can't even tell you what it sounds like because it's so kind of strange and mm-hmm. haunting. Mm-hmm. And matching him with the gorillas, I mean, guys, you gotta, I mean, you gotta check it out. I'm gonna, I, I think, well, it's all, it's all over the place. You could just Google it, but we'll, event, you know, we'll definitely put it in the show notes. And also, Wayne Barrett wrote a book called Trump, The Deals and the Downfall. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, it is really, I mean, oh my God, you have to read. If you really want to know who's running this country, read that book. Uh, it came out in 1992, but I'm sure you can find it online or in a bookstore or wherever. But Wayne Barrett is amazing. And also, I just wanted to say thank you to, um, I got an email from one of our listeners named Susan Seithel, and I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, on Facebook, encouraging me to read A Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Vance after um, Tanner was uh, poo-pooing on it a couple of uh, weeks ago. And she told me, don't listen, don't listen to him, read the book, read the book, and I'm glad that I that I am, that I stuck with it, and that I'm, you know, not that Tanner has any sway on anything that I think about anything in this world, but... I um, definitely am glad that you wrote me that note, Susan, and I am reading it and I am learning. And thank you for, for your email. Okay. Aren, do you have any recommendations of things you've been watching, reading, listening that you want to share with it's, listeners? It's funny because I've been mostly on a media blackout. Yeah. I've been trying to get back to essentials. Like I was painting my apartment. And, yeah. But, you know, I have been reading, uh, you know, I wrote a book about Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and I was reading more closely uh, her memoir, My Own Words. It's sort of a memoir. It's like an anthology of her writing and her biographers write introductions to it. Because I was thinking about the fact that, like, let's say it's 1977 or 1978. So you know that the world is not perfect, but if you're a part of the women's movement, you're feeling like the wind is at your back. And you don't know that you're like two years away from Reagan, Phyllis Schlafly, you know, this this entire conservative revolution that it's going to be like 13 years before there's even a Democratic president. So I was thinking about um, how I want to I want to think about I was thinking about how I want to learn from people who have been through backlash before. Mm. 
So I'm I'm seeking that out now. Mm-hmm. If I had a chance to ask Justice Ginsburg about it, I would because she was a federal judge. So she was sort of on the sidelines starting in 1980. But she watched so many things she fought for get rolled back. And she kind of sat it out and then kept fighting, kept fighting. And then some things she won and some things she had to dissent from. But I also, uh, I plan to reread The Essential Ellen Willis, speaking of The Village Voice, because I recall that she wrote some incredibly incisive things during the 80s. You know, during the 70s, you can read a lot of the the really thoughtful critiques of the women's movement and figuring out, you know, how did they coalesce despite so many differences within the movement. I'm also really curious how they stayed alive during what felt like the end of history, you know, and are there parallels to now? Like, mm-hmm. as extraordinary as this feels right now, can you learn from a past backlash? You know, I love Susan Faludi's backlash, uh, which I, you know, we recently yeah. reread for a book club that we mm-hmm. did that's online. So I guess, yeah, I want I want to go back. Our friend uh, Amina wrote an article recommending that everybody read Bell Hooks's Feminism for Everybody. Mm-hmm. I think we want to go back to essentials, yeah. you know, and try to understand, like, these debates about the Women's March are so old, yeah. They go back, like you said, to the 19th century and beyond. And so, like, what can we learn from their mistakes? What can we learn from their lessons? I wanna, um, can I add to that? Yeah. So if we're going to go back, and I've recommended this before, but I have to recommend it again. If we want to learn from our from our predecessors, Gloria Anzaldúa, Borderland, and um, this bridge called My Back, which is a, an anthology that's partly edited by uh, uh, the late, great Anzaldúa and also by Sherry Moraga. If you want to close that bridge and you want to learn about feminism of color, of the way women were working in the backlash and what they were working on decades ago, for us to be here today, to be able to continue to try to work together, read those two books. Okay. So before we leave you this week, we have a bit of sad and bad news. A few weeks ago, we were informed that Panoply is canceling the podcast at the end of January, which means that next week we'll be putting out our final episode of About Race. The short explanation is this. Continued scheduling issues made it really difficult, and also our full-time jobs, made it really difficult for us to create the sort of cohesion that we needed and Panoply needed for the podcast. So please do get in touch with us with all your memories, loves, hates, everything about your experience of the show, both in its latest iteration and its older one. Um, And on that note, I'm going to turn it over to Raquel so she can say a little something since she's not going to be here next week on what is going to be the last show of about episode of about race. Yes. So first, I'd like to recommend that you all stay in touch with me. Um, And I'm at, at Raquel Cepeda on Twitter and on Instagram. And I'm all, I'm all over the place. And, while I am going to be taking breaks here and there, um, uh, you know, social media breaks, I will respond. And as you guys know, I like to communicate with our listeners. Um, so I won't say goodbye. It was been a pleasure, though. It's been a wonderful ride uh, to uh, co-host this and sit with Baratunde and Anna. You've been amazing. And AC, thank you. And thank you to the audience. Thank you for for challenging me, for agreeing sometimes, for disagreeing, for making me grow as a person, for making it painful sometimes. Thank you, Raquel. So, guys, um, I think we're going to leave it. We're going to leave it there. Um, And thank you all for tuning in. Of course, our producer, as you may know or not know, is AC Valdez. Our research assistant and tech maven is Cody Carvel. Thanks also to Alana Milner, Laura Mayer, and Andy Bauer at Panoply. You can see the company's entire roster of podcasts at panoply.fm. You can find links to the things we've discussed today on our website, showaboutrace.com. We've got a phone number. Call us, 612-888-RACE. If you'd like to email us or send us a voice memo, the address is showaboutrace at gmail.com. And of course, you can follow along with the conversation or join it yourself on Facebook or Twitter at Show About Race. In the meantime, I'm Anna Holmes. Thanks so much.